Many of you may have used this phrase, or uh, maybe not, but maybe you've heard it, but we use it actually quite often in our house. You get what you get, and you don't get upset. We say, and you don't throw a fit, a little bit of a variation. But many of you maybe have used that with your children, have you heard that? You get what you get, and you don't get upset. Um, This happens often in our family. Uh, Just recently, this life altering argument happened between my kids about who got to sit on the bench at our dinner table rather than the chairs. And you would think that World War III was about to break out in our house. It was like, I want the bench. And so we did the, we, uh, uh, technology is amazing. I, I entered their names into a spinny wheel and then I said, here we go, bloop. And it's Oliver. Ah! You get what you get and you don't get upset. Meaning, Hey, there's things that happen in your life that you're not going to necessarily like, but it is what it is. You get what you get, and there's no point in getting uh, upset uh, about it. And so many of you probably have stories about your kids and the same kind of thing. I wanted this, and I didn't get this, and it's not fair. And you go, well, sorry, you get what you get. And we can't be too hard on kids because I know many adults who act like this too, Um, myself included. Many of us, we have a plan for our lives. We have a direction that we think our lives are going. And, uh, and then sometimes things happen that it kind of completely alters the plan. So many of you, you have this idea of what you want your life to look like. And, you know, I've even seen people who have their vision board. And here's my vision of my life. And if I just do these eight simple steps, then I'll just achieve all of my dreams. And, and it'll be amazing. But listen, like, if we're honest, it never, ever works works like that. There's always twists and turns, and your plan A becomes plan B, and then C, and then D, and then you eventually loop around, and you get to plan AA, and plan BB, and you're in the double numbers are ready, but that, that happens. Life throws you a wrench or a curveball, and all of a sudden, your, your five-year plan of do these eight things, and I'll achieve everything, it just, it changes, and that's, what ha- that's how we got up here. So I'll give you an example from our own life. I was a youth pastor in Maple Ridge, and I was kind of feeling the call to lead and preach and teach. And I said, I'll go anywhere, God, in brackets, in the lower mainland. I'll go anywhere you want me to. And I had this idea of we would get a, a, a church somewhere in the lower mainland near our families, and it would be great. And then some random number called from Fort St. John. I was like, where in the world is that? And would you come be uh, the pastor? We want to meet with you. And the, our first meeting, we got in the car, and we just laughed and said, <laughs> there is no way we're going to Fort St. John. That's way too far. And then over time, God softened our our hearts, and now we're almost nine years up here. But was that my plan to come up here? No, of course not. I had my set plan, and then God threw a wrench, and, and now we're off onto this part of our lives over here. And you all have things like that. Sometimes they're they're silly little things that happen, and then and then sometimes your plan for your life takes a, a drastic, really hard turn. And you lose the business that you've spent 20 years pouring into and you declare bankruptcy. Or your marriage falls apart and you go, what is happening? I was not planning on this happening. Or your, your kids rebel and walk away from the faith and you go, was I planning for that to happen? No, of course not. Or sickness happens or, de- or whatever it is, right? 
We all have circumstances that, in life that we go through that you wouldn't necessarily pick or plan on your vision board for your life. I think if Paul would title the different sections of his book, he would title 1 Corinthians 7, verses 17 to 24, his title would be, you get what you get and you don't get upset. And I think a little bit deeper than that is Paul, I think, in this section is going to give us four things that will help us when we go through those kinds of moments in your life. When you have your vision for your life and then all of a sudden we're on plan E because plan A just didn't work out and I didn't see this thing coming. I think Paul's going to give us, here are four things that you can uh, cling to as circumstances just kind of fly at you. So what we want to do is work through uh, verses 17 to 24 and just help us as we all face circumstances that we necessarily don't like or that we weren't expecting. So the first point is this, out of four. Number one, your circumstances are assigned by God. This, is a, this might be a tough pill to swallow, but this is what it says starting in verse 17. Paul says in chapter 7, only let each person, and let's just pause there because only is a really weird way to start a sentence, right? Only this, 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 and you go, well, wait a second, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So clearly Paul is, is referencing things that he's already talked about. So let me just, let me bring you up to speed a little bit and remind you of what was going on in Corinth. One of the big issues in this church is that they cared an awful lot about status and position in life, right? Early on, there was, well, I'm team Apollos, or I'm team Paul, or I follow Cephas, and they, they elevated their leaders, and really, you like Andrew's preaching? Peter's preaching his way better, and I'm team Peter, and, and I'm so much wiser than you, and they just, they were obsessed with their status, they cared about wisdom, and we have, we're so wise in our decisions. Um, in a little bit, we're going to see in the book that they were doing this with their spiritual gifts, right? The gifts that the Holy Spirit had given them. Oh, you have the gift of administration? Oh, pish posh. Um, I have the gift of speaking in tongues. I can speak the language of angels. Can you? Right? And, and so it was a status thing. You're a Christian down here with this gift. Well, I'm up here with this gift, and I'm better than you. Uh, we've even seen this in the beginning of chapter 7. There was this thinking that abstinence is the, the greatest uh, life that you could live. And so if you, ha having sex means that you're just weak and you're not as spiritual as I am up here because I'm single. And then it was bleeding into, well, maybe I should divorce my spouse and, and, and then just cut that off so I can be single too and then I can be more spiritual. Right? So they just cared about status and position and how people viewed them, and it just led them to do just very bizarre things. I'm married to an unbeliever. I should just divorce them because they're, they're, they're weighing me down, and I'm, I can be more spiritual that way. So in light of all that, right, Paul has just talked about divorce, singleness, trying to correct their worldview, and then in verse 17, he says this, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. And to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. 
So what did Paul just say? He says, the life that you have, your lot in life, your circumstances are not just random. It's not happenstance. He says, live the life that God has assigned to you, to which God has called you. What does this mean? It means God actually rules over all of the circumstances of your life. And Paul says, live the life that God's called you to. You get what you get, and you don't get upset. And then then he says, this is my rule in all the churches. Basically, he's saying, listen, Corinthians, it's not just you that I'm coming down hard on because you just can't get your act together. He says, in all the churches, this is the rule. Live the life that God called you to. Stop comparing your life and your call and, and your lot to other people's and going, well, why do I have to go through this? It's not fair because Sue doesn't have to go through that. I don't like that. He says, live the life that God called you to live. But here's the problem that the Corinthians had and that we have is that we just don't do this very well. We have our life circumstances and then we look over the fence, so to speak, of our neighbors or our friends' circumstances and we go, well, I want what they have. And can we just like, as an aside, many of us do this online. We watch people on Instagram and Facebook and blah, 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 all these things. And we go, oh man, their life looks so late, so great. Listen, it's a lie. It's not real. The reels that you watch and the pictures that you see, it's fake. And yet we look at Instagram and we go, oh, their marriage just looks so great. I wish my marriage was like that. And we get upset, right? And we throw a fit. And what God is saying is, hey, live the life that I've called you to live. Let me give you an example. So Hebrews 12 says this, um, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So Paul says, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that there's, you know, our ancestors are watching us and some people have this view in heaven. It's like a theater and they're all watching. That's not what he means. Who, what are they witnesses to? To Jesus. Hebrews 11, there's your witnesses. We look at them and they are witnessing to the faithfulness of God. They're not watching you. They're our witnesses to point to Jesus. But he says, you have a race. And look at how it's worded. Run the race that is set before you. The race has been set before you. You're not choosing your own race and where you want to go. God, in his sovereignty and his providence, he set a race before you, so run it. And here's what we have to get into our our brains. People's races are different. Not everyone gets the same race. Your race is not the same as the person next to you. You don't have identical races that you've run. God has set a race before you, so run that one. Even if you jump back to Hebrews 11, you get this whole list of people and the things that they did. And so this is what it says in Hebrews 11:32. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and 
Samson and Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Um, yes, please. I'll take that race. Conquering kingdoms? Enforcing justice? Stopping lions' mouths? Uh, escaping the sword? Men made strong out of weakness? Yes, please. I would love to run that race. But uh-oh, it keeps going. Some were tortured. Refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging. And even chains and imprisonment, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, and we all say, I don't want to run that race. I want the first part, conquering kingdoms and, and having victories, and, and yet, look, each person in Hebrews 11 had a race to run that God set before them. And I'm sure all the people who were sawn in two and were killed by the sword weren't going, this is exactly what I planned for my life. But they ran the race, right, that God had laid before them. People's circumstances are different, and God has assigned and called each person to live the life that he's called them to. So run your race. And I know that we read things like that, and my heart immediately goes, well, it's not fair. Why should I have to do that when someone else's life is just like smooth sailing? Why does, why does my neighbor get the victories and stopping the mouths of lions and I get the, the being mocked and imprisoned and tortured? Why do I get that? It's not fair. God, why? Um, many of you know that I grew up playing baseball and um, got to... a. a semi-competitive level, um, but early on, the first year I played baseball, um, we were terrible, the whole team, because this is all the guys on the team, this is their first year playing baseball. So you had kids who were wearing gloves on the wrong hand, and they're picking grass out in the field, and then the guy hits it, and then he runs to third first, and you're like, oh my gosh, we're terrible. And what would happen is that the coaches then would assign which position uh, each person would play, and it, and it rotated. Sometimes you would play first base, or you would play uh, left field, or right field, or whatever. Uh, and what they were doing is it was kind of based on your skill level, and them not wanting you to get hurt, essentially, Right? We don't want the kid with the glove on the wrong hand in shortstop, and then he gets pegged in the face with a ball. It's probably not going to be good. So let's put him out in right field, okay? And you can sit, little Tommy, and you can pick your grass, and we'll learn, and we'll grow as a baseball player. But lots of times, you would get assigned to these different positions, and if you're like, right field, I want to be shortstop. And you would go, coach, why? Why are you putting me in the worst spot? Like, I, I'm better than that. And, and what would it be? They would say, hey, trust me that I'm your coach and I know what I'm doing. I'm doing this for your own good so that you grow as a baseball player and so that you don't get hurt. Right? But we would always kick against it and go, oh, it's not fair. I hate my coach. He never puts me in the position I want. Do you see where I'm going with this? We do the exact same thing with God. God says, you know what, for this season of your life, I'm going to allow this to happen. I'm going to let you go through this. And we go, why, God? It's not fair. I want my life to be over there. 
And just maybe, just maybe, you would trust that the God of the universe knows better than you. He knows what he's doing. And he's doing things so that you grow as a follower and disciple of Jesus. And he's doing it for your own good so that you mature and grow into the likeness of Jesus. And many times he's doing it for your benefit. And yet we just go, God doesn't know what he's doing. This isn't fair. Um, Even from Scripture, if you remember when we went through the Gospel of John, at the very end in chapter 21, Peter is talking with Jesus, right? Feed my sheep. Uh, Do you love me, Peter? And he says, yes, I love you. And he's restored. And and then Jesus tells him how he's actually going to die. You know, when you were young, you would dress yourself how you wanted and you would go where you want. But when you get older, someone else is going to dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. And then you're going to stretch out your hands and you're going to die. He's basically telling Peter, Peter, you're actually going to be crucified like I was. And then it says this in verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at table close to him and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Isn't that just what we do? God says, I'm going to actually put you here and I'm going to do this and I'm going to allow you to go through this. And we go, well, what about them? And what does Jesus say? Jesus says to him, If it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You, Peter, follow me. It's like Jesus is saying, Peter, I've I've laid out a race for you. What happens to John is irrelevant to your race. What is it to you if he has a better life than you do? You, Peter, follow me. So listen, the circumstances that you go through and the, the, the lot that you have in life. Remember, God has called you to it. It's been assigned by him. Paul says, lead the life that God has assigned to you. And so on one hand, we would go, well, that raises up a whole bunch of questions about God's sovereignty and his providence. But it's actually very comforting knowing that God's not up in his throne room going, man, I did not see that coming for Andrew's life. Woo! He's in control. He knows what he's doing, right? Your circumstances have been assigned to you. Secondly, what do we do as we face these different circumstances and changes and when our lot in life is just kind of not what we expected? Um, You need to know this. Your circumstances don't need to change. And Paul's going to give a couple of, of examples. Verse 18, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. Ow. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. So a little bit of background because this example seems very foreign to us. We're like, what? This was happening? But this is what was going on in, in Corinth. Um, in, throughout Corinth, they had what was called um, different bathhouses, and you would go, uh, and, and it was split by gender, so there was a bathhouse for men and a bathhouse for women, and uh, you would go, and it was just all natural, baby. Um, you would go in, and that's what you did, right? So we think of our locker rooms and gyms now, it's like, oh, so embarrassing, way worse, right? Um, but what would happen is, is that business deals would be made, and you would go, and you would, and you would uh, uh, rub shoulders with very powerful and wealthy people, and you would build alliances, and you would, it was a status thing. 
And it was a position thing. And so what would happen is um, circumcision at that time among the Romans was seen as barbaric and just, ugh, why would anyone do that? So you have Jewish people living in Corinth who want to advance socially. And I got to go to the bathhouses to do that. That's where all the business happens. And there was actually a procedure called epispasm, which was, a, uh, it didn't uh, reverse circumcision, but it covered it up. It hid the fact that someone was circumcised. And so what Jews would do is they would get this procedure done so they could go to these bathhouses and people would go, wait, aren't you Jewish? Are you circumcised? And they would go, nope, look, right? And so now I can advance socially and I can make business deals and I can climb the, the ladder because I've covered up the fact that I'm circumcised. So that's going on. Now, see how ridiculous this is. Then you have Gentiles who aren't circumcised who are going, maybe I need to get circumcised because it seems to be a big deal in the Old Testament. And there were people who were saying, well, yes, if you're actually a Christian, you have to get circumcised. And so Gentiles then uh, non-Jewish people were coming into the church and they were being pressured to get circumcised. So what does Paul say? And it's amazing. He says, listen, verse 19, circumcision or uncircumcision means nothing. It doesn't count for anything. Here's what you need to do. Keep the commandments of God. Essentially, Paul says, who cares? Stop trying to alter your circumstances to, to try and climb some social ladder that God doesn't care about. <laughs> it doesn't change your status before God. And so in verse 20, Paul says, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. So if you're a Gentile and you were called, you don't need to be circumcised. Just stay in, the, in, in how you were called. And if you're Jewish and you became a follower of Jesus and you've already been circumcised, you don't need to go get some procedure to cover it up. Just be content with where you're at. But usually, um, we want to change our circumstances because we're just not satisfied with our lot in life. And that's why you have so many self-help books and you have all of these fad diets and then you have money-making schemes because you're like, I just want something that's going to make me happier, happier and more prestigious in the eyes of my peers. And so the Jews would hide their circumcision for social status and the Gentiles would get circumcised for religious status. Do you see how ridiculous this is? Well, now the Gentiles can't go to the bathhouses because they got circumcised. Well, now I got to go get a procedure to hide my circumcision. It's just ridiculous. In an attempt to climb the social ladder that honestly God thinks is dumb. Paul says, who cares, people, whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, just obey the commandments of God and just remain in the condition that God called you. You don't have to change your circumstances. Now, the second example he gives is a little bit different. Verse 21, were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you gain your freedom, avail your, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man. Of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So he uses, so he's used the circumcision example, which makes sense. And now he's saying, okay, let's use the example of someone who's a slave and someone who's free, right? He says, were you a slave when you became a believer? And I love that Paul says, don't be concerned about it. But 
if you can gain your freedom, like, sure, go for it. But if you were called as a slave, um, Paul says, remember, you're a freed man in Jesus. And, if, and remember, if you're free, I'm not a slave, when you were called, you're actually a slave of Jesus. What does that mean? It means that the, 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 the ground is level here. And then in verse 23, he says, you were, let me remind you, you were bought with a price, so don't become slaves of men. So we need to talk about slavery for a bit because it was, it's different than your view of slavery. Because your view of sla- slavery is America in the South, right? And a slavery that was primarily based on race. Um, and when we hear in the Bible slavery, our minds automatically go, plantations in the South, Right? But slavery in Paul's day and age was much different. Um, I think it's like up to a third of the Roman Empire were slaves. And people would go into debt, and how you would pay your debt is that you would go and become a slave. And oftentimes you could buy your freedom after you paid off your debt for a, a, a while. So, but you still need to hear, I mean, slavery still sucks, right? We're not saying, oh, it was great back then. No, it was awful still, but it wasn't how you and I view it. But even in the, in the household, it would be like the man of the house, uh, the wife, the kids, the dog, and then slavery. You were still viewed as less than. Uh, sometimes the conditions were still bad. But it wasn't based on your race. Anybody could become a slave. That's how you paid off debt. And so I love that Paul says, if you're a believer, right, if you're a slave and all of a sudden you hear the gospel and you become a believer... You're, you're free in Jesus. You actually don't need to, to be concerned about your social status. It's like if you're called as a slave, well, you're free in Jesus. If you're free when you're called, you're a slave of Jesus. Being a slave and a Christian doesn't make you less than. It's not as if you would go to church and people would go, well, you're a slave? Well, I'm a freed person. Paul is saying, you're all one in Christ. It it actually means nothing. Slave, you're free in Christ. Free man, you're a slave in Christ. You're the same. What What that means is that the gospel, it just levels out everything, doesn't it? There are no classes. There's no class system in the kingdom of God. Whether you're slave or free or male or female or circumcised or not or fat or thin or beautiful or ugly, it doesn't matter. You are all one in Christ. That would be where you go like, oh, amen, praise God. There's no class system in God's kingdom. It actually doesn't matter my social situation. It doesn't make me less than other people or better than other people. The classes that you and I put ourselves into and the ladders that you and I try and climb in society, they're inconsequential to God. He does not care about them. That's why Paul says in verse 23, you were bought with a price, so don't become slaves of men. Paul doesn't mean literally here. He's not saying Oh, and if, if you go into debt, don't become a slave of someone, literally. He's speaking metaphorically. He is saying, you have been bought by the blood of Jesus. You are now a citizen of the age to come. Why on earth would you submit yourself to the opinions and classes and status chasing of men? He says, don't be a slave to that. Don't make yourself dependent on the value judgments of mere men. 
Because cultural values that esteem people or denigrate them based on your genealogy, based on the work that you do, based on your wealth, based on your education, it does not affect your worth as a follower of Jesus and it shouldn't infiltrate your values. Paul is saying, don't be a slave to that anymore. Now, the reason that Scripture has to constantly remind us of this is because we do the exact same thing that the Corinthians were doing. We play this game of status and class just like they were. We do this all the time, and we want to climb the social ladders that exist in our society. Let me give you a few examples. We do this with money. Uh, You've probably seen the bumper sticker because I've seen it uh, sometimes around town. He with the most toys wins. And there's this idea that the more money you have, um, the better you are. And you can have a bigger house, and you can have a better car, and you can have a better boat, and you can have a better RV, and you can have a better quad, and you can have a better side-by-side. And see those people over there? They don't have as much as you. So they're actually lower on the social ladder than you are. And so then I need to go get a better job, and I need to work longer hours, and I need to neglect my family more because I feel the need to climb this social ladder so that I can prove that I'm worth something. Look how big my house is. Look how much money I have in the bank. Look at the vacations I take. Look at me and how great I am. I'm climbing the social ladder. And do you know how much God cares about the money that you have and the social games that you're playing? He cares nothing about that. Don't be a slave to men. You don't have to play those games anymore. Um, We do this with beauty. We are obsessed, obsessed with looking younger and looking prettier than other people. And so I'm going to just put toxins in my face to get rid of wrinkles. And then I don't want to have any gray hair and I don't want people to know. Like, do you realize how foolish this is? You're not fooling anybody Every human being, every year, gets older. (laughs) What? But we do that, don't we? Oh, and then someone thought I was 35 instead of 38. Oh, amazing. And we... We climb the social ladder and look at how many likes my picture on Instagram has got with my new outfit and my new hair and my makeup and all this kind of stuff. And we're just obsessed with playing this game. And Paul would say, you're being a slave. Jesus bought you. Don't mess around and become slaves of people anymore. You live in in the kingdom of God, the age to come. You don't have to play these games anymore. You've been freed from that. So all that to say, what Paul says is that your, your circumstances in life actually don't have to change, right? The cards that you've been dealt, your lot in life, you don't have to stress and panic about changing them so that you can climb the ladder socially. Paul says if you're circumcised, great. If you're uncircumcised, great. You don't have to change it. If you're a slave when you were a Christian, just stay there. And if you're not a slave, okay, great. You're all one in Christ. It's all been flattened in the kingdom. There's no classes or, or distinctions like that anymore. Don't be a slave to that. You, you can stay in the circumstances that you're in. However, thirdly, right, your circumstances don't need to change, but sometimes your circumstances can change. Go back to verse 21, right? Paul says, um, Were you a bondservant when called? 
Don't be concerned about it, right? You don't have to change your circumstances. But then he says, but if you can gain your freedom, um, avail yourself of the opportunity. So listen, it's not as if Paul is saying, no matter the circumstances that you go through in life, you're never allowed to attempt to change them. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's not saying if you're a slave and someone offers you freedom, you have to go, nope, I was called as a slave. I have to stay a a slave. He's like, no, if you get a chance to to have your freedom, we'll take it. That's fine. But know that being a slave or free doesn't change your standing before God. So then the question is, well, when? When When are times when I should change my circumstances? Right? If Paul's saying you can actually be content in your circumstances, you don't have to change them, but are there examples of times when maybe I should? I'll give you a few. When it's sin, you should change your circumstances. Right? Boyfriend and girlfriend living together, sleeping together, become Christians. Well, I was called as this, and so I'll stay. No. Get out of that situation. Change your circumstances. Right? If you're living in sin, don't play the card where you go, well, that's how I am when I was called. Paul said, don't change. No, 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 no. Right? If a, if a stripper becomes a Christian, we wouldn't say, well, Paul says, stay where you are. No, we would say, stop doing that. Change your circumstances. Because what you're doing is sinful. So that's one example. If, you, if your circumstances, you're sinning, then change your circumstances. Right? You, it's okay to do that. You should do that. And then secondly, well, maybe there's times when your circumstances are just unbearable. Like if you cry every day going to work, like I do. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. But if you're, if you're really like, I'm going to work every day and I'm just miserable and I weep at work and I hate my job, I think Paul would say, look for another job. It's not sinful. You don't have to, if it's unbearable, well then, yeah, put your resume out and find a different job. Um, Even related to chapter 7, some people who are like, well, I'm single, does that mean I just have to accept my lot in life to be single forever? No. If the opportunity comes along and you meet someone who's great and they love Jesus and you're going to get married, Paul would say, get married. You can change your circumstances. But the whole point, I think, of what Paul is saying is don't be a slave to the idea that if I can just change my circumstances, then somehow I'm impressing God and I'm better than other people, right? Like, like chapter 7, well, if I can just divorce my spouse and be single and abstinent, abstinent well, then God is going to think I'm much more spiritual. No, you can stay in the circumstances you're at, and, and if you need to change your circumstances, just know that it doesn't affect God's view of you in the kingdom. So yes, your circumstances can change. And then lastly, um, you are not alone as you go through these circumstances. Paul ends this section, verse 24, by saying, So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Um, The word with literally means beside. And so what Paul is saying is um, your, your, your circumstances have been assigned by God and yet he hasn't left you alone to walk through them. He says, stay in the condition that you've been called right beside God. 
You can, you can live through whatever circumstances life throws at you because God is right beside you. He will actually walk with you through those seasons and storms and trials and pain. I mean, Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. See, we sometimes think that God allows these things to happen, and then he just kind of lets us go through it by ourselves. And that's where we get mad, where we go, God, why would you allow this to happen? And you're up on your throne, and you don't care about me. And actually, Paul says, actually, if you just go through these circumstances, God is right there beside you. He, he hasn't abandoned you. So here's what I think Paul is getting at. I think he's trying to teach us contentment in our circumstances, not believing the lie that you have to somehow climb the success ladder of our world and you have to do things to better your standing before God. I think Paul is just saying, listen, you can actually learn to be content where you're at. Now, that's so easy to say, but much harder to live, right, when, when your circumstances are terrible. But I've talked with Christians who have lost loved ones whose marriages have fell apart, who've declared bankruptcy, and you ask them, okay, did, what was it like going through that? And oftentimes people will tell me, you would not believe the amount of peace I had. In the midst of the worst season of my life, I, I knew that God was beside me. And when Scripture says there's a peace that passes understanding, it's true. Right? When your spouse dies, when you lose everything, and you go, how can you have peace? Because God's right here beside me. He hasn't abandoned me. And I can learn to just be content. Like, what does Paul say in Philippians 4, describing his life? He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, and then here's your coffee cup. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Paul's not talking about like, you can make that slam dunk, Philippians 4.13. No, he's saying, whatever life throws at you, you can actually learn contentment. And think about Paul. I mean, there was times when he had abundance, when he, his stomach was full, and he had a bed to sleep in, and he had good things happening. And he goes, I just, I just know how to be content in Jesus. And then when he's shipwrecked, and he's abandoned, and he's in prison, he goes, I, I know how to be content. Why? It's because Jesus, I can go through any circumstance in life because I'm content because Jesus strengthens me. And so here's how we do this. I think you and I can learn to be content by remembering these four things. Any circumstance you go through to go, okay, this, this, this circumstance has been assigned by God. I might not understand why God is allowing this to happen, but this is the race that he has set before me. It's not happenstance. He's in control. I can run this race. Secondly, you can go, I don't have to panic right away to change all my circumstances so that other people will think well of me and then God will think better of me. No, actually, you can just you can let it be what it is. And yet, remembering that, yes, your circumstances can change. But above all of that, knowing that anything that happens in your life, God is right beside you. In the midst of the good and the bad, he walks with you. 
And so you can just be content in the peace that he gives. So, Father, I just thank you um, for your word. And I thank you for how encouraging and challenging it is. Um, God, I know because um, I've seen it enough times and I've seen it in my own life that we all go through things in life, our circumstances that we just don't enjoy. Or, or, or maybe even more than that, it's just not what we were expecting. We have this plan and view of our lives and then it's, it just gets derailed. Or plan A then becomes plan B or C or D or E and, and, and just life doesn't happen the way that we had planned. So God, I thank you that even though sometimes it's hard to understand that all of our circumstances in life have been assigned by you. That you have set a race before each one of us. And my race is not my neighbor's race. And I don't need to, you know, metaphorically look over the fence and, and whine and complain about why my life is not like theirs. All I need to do is just run the race that you've put before me. God, I thank you that, like Paul says, we don't have to climb these stupid social status ladders that our world cares about. That I don't have to try and change all of my circumstances so that my life looks amazing and people are jealous and I, I climb the ranks of, of, of the social ladder because really you don't care anything about that. There is none of that in the kingdom of God. It's all been flattened out and there is no Jew or Gentile or male or female or slave or free or anything. We are all one in Christ. And I thank you, God, that in the midst of our circumstances that you are actually right beside us. You haven't abandoned us. You haven't left us to just try and figure it out on our own. You're, you're literally right next to us walking with us through the trial and through the pain, giving us peace that just passes understanding. So, God, I pray that we would just learn contentment where we're at. Um, God, I'm aware of uh, there's lots in this room who um, it's a lot easier said than done just because there's so much pain and brokenness. And God, my, my hope and prayer has not been that the attitude would be, well, it's just, it is what it is, accept it, because no. But that we would be able to cling to these truths and, and be able to walk through these circumstances knowing that, okay, I might not like it, but this is the race that God set before me, and I can follow Him. Does it help us to do that, Jesus? Um, give us strength because we just cannot do it on our own. And so thank you that you are always beside us, walking with us through every circumstance and trial and in our lives. And so we just thank you for your faithfulness, God. And we just pray all of this in your name. Amen.